Our scripture reading is from Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Continuing at verse 12. Because of this, the king was angry and was furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the king of the captain's guard, who had gone out to kill the men, wise men of Babylon. And he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have made and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Verse 36, uh, this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the hev God of heaven has given the, the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these things. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. 
As you saw, the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of, the, of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great king has made known to a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Well, good morning. My name is uh, Brian Weiler, and I am a member here at DOXA, so I'm glad to be with you. Today we are in chapter 2 of the book of Daniel, uh, and it's a, it's a chapter that is fascinating in a lot of ways. It's a story that is pivotal in the life of Daniel. We witness a turning point in Daniel's life and the life of his friends. We get a, a front seat view to see Daniel's rise to prominence. In the book of Daniel, the overarching, overarching theme in the entire book is God's sovereignty. The doctrine of God's providence can be traced through the entire book. The doctrine of God's providence is the reality that God is fully in control and actively involved in his creation. And scripture teaches us that the events of history are not determined by chance or randomness. They are ordained and influenced by God. In the book of Psalms, 139 explains that God plans our days before we were born. And in Job, we are reminded that our days are determined. God knows the number of our days. And Paul tells us in Galatians that God set him apart before he was born. And in Acts chapter 17, we see that, that our lives are fully under God's providential care. In Acts 17 verse 28, in him we live and move and have our being. See, the reality of God's sovereignty can be found all throughout Scripture, but it is front and center here in the book of Daniel. Listen to how chapter 1 opens, right? This is chapter 1, Daniel 1, verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. Daniel 1, verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. God is actively involved in orchestrating the events of Judah's exile, and we can assume that Daniel knows this. The backdrop of this reality is critical to understanding what's happening here in Daniel chapter 2. And, what, how, and it's, it's critical to understand how Daniel, how he responds to his personal crisis here. Uh, but before we dive in and go any further, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for, um, for this morning. We thank you that your mercy is new every morning, God. I pray right now that, Lord, that we, would, that we would be encouraged, lifted up, Lord, and that you would reveal yourself to us, God, that we would see you for who you are. Lord, you are faithful. And Lord, I pray that your word would, um, would, would do what only your word can do, Lord. It would, it, would, it would move us closer to you, God, this morning. We would leave here with a bigger perspective of who you are. And that we would leave changed. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
So Daniel 2, it's a pretty long passage. It's a big story. And so Donna, great job. That was, a, I know, it was first time up you were reading. That was a pretty long passage to read, but you did great. Um, there's a lot going on. I would encourage you, because we're not, we're not going to be able to, to dive into everything that's happening in the story. So I would really encourage you this week to spend some time in Daniel chapter 2. We're going to kind of walk through the story in a little bit to get some context, but we're, we're going to focus on two parts of the story, Daniel's response to God's provision and then the interpretation itself. Again, the theme of God's sovereignty is threaded throughout the book of Daniel, and it is the backdrop to understanding Daniel chapter 2. So Daniel chapter 2 begins with King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He was having a reoccurring dream that was tormenting him. And verse 1 tells us that he couldn't sleep. If you've ever struggled with sleep, you know it will, it will affect you physically, mentally, uh, spiritually. As a result, King Nebuchadnezzar summons all the wise men in Babylon to his court. He wants, to tell the, he wants the wise men to tell him what this dream means. He wants his dream to be interpreted. King Nebuchadnezzar wants to know whether this reoccurring dream is going to be a sign that his kingdom will soon end. You know, is there an enemy out there that's coming to overthrow his kingdom? The magicians, the astrologers say to the king, sure, we, we can interpret this dream for you. Just simply tell us what the dream is. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, nope, I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. I want you to first tell me what the dream is, and then I'll be able to know whether or not I can trust your interpretation. And some Bible commentaries claim that Nebuchadnezzar may have forgotten this dream. So he was trying to test them, see, like, you know, see if they could help him remember. But most Bible scholars take the view that Nebuchadnezzar was simply putting these advisors to the test. It's early in his reign as king, and he was probably feeling out who he could trust and who he couldn't from his father's advisors. Listen to how Nebuchadnezzar responds to the wise men. Verse five, if you don't make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. If you can't tell me what the dream is, I'm going to have you cut into pieces. Nebuchadnezzar, he isn't bluffing. He, in the very next chapter, Daniel chapter 3, we see that, that King Nebuchadnezzar takes uh, Daniel's friends and throws them into a furnace of fire. And in 2 Kings chapter 25, Nebuchadnezzar kills Zedekiah's family right in front of him before gouging out Zedekiah's own eyes. This, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, doesn't give empty threats. The king is asking the wise men to do the impossible and a real death threat looms over these guys. He wanted the wise men to go to their Babylonian gods and figure out a way to read his mind. I mean, this is a dramatic moment. If you really pause and kind of look, take a step back. Listen to how the wise men respond to King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse, um, Daniel chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. The wise men tell the king that it would take an act of God, and they admit that their gods are limited in what they can do. The faith of the wise men is being exposed in this moment. In his madness, King Nebuchadnezzar is forcing the wise men to take an honest look at the object of their faith. 
The text isn't you know, clear, but it really does sound like the wise men of Babylon, they didn't even try to go to their gods to, for, in, uh, to solve this crisis. They knew it was pointless, and their trust in the Babylonian gods was empty, and they knew it. The object of our faith is always exposed in moments of crisis. You and I may struggle at times to believe the truth of the gospel, and our faith may waver at times, but we can rest in the fact that God is who he says he is. We rest in the promises of God because they're his promises, not our promises. The most important aspect of our walk with Christ is not necessarily the amount of faith you and I possess. It's the object of our faith. It's whether the object of our faith is reliable and true. The amount of faith that you and I have is not our biggest problem. It's whether or not the object of our faith is reliable and true. Hebrews 12 reminds us that we should fix our eyes on Christ before we worry about how much faith we have or we don't have. And Hebrews 12 tells us that God is the author and perfecter of our faith. So do you want great faith like Randy talked about last week? Do you want faith like Daniel? Fix your eyes on Christ. Fix your eyes on what is reliable and what is true. The wise men in this story, they're being exposed here in this moment. And the king, he's done, he's going to waste time with religious flattery. Nebuchadnezzar's self-serving motive has put the wise men's gods on trial. I'm sure they're thinking, has King Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind? And they would be right. He has lost his mind. The king is tired. He's angry. He's afraid. His dream is more of a nightmare, and it's tormenting him. So this king finally breaks. He has, he's had it, and he gives the order to kill all the wise men in Babylon. He's done wasting time. He's done playing games. And Daniel and his friends are included. Their names are now on the chopping block. And I, I, I find it fascinating, if you read the story, I find it fascinating that Daniel was unaware of what was happening. He was unaware of this crisis and his future fate. When the king's executioner comes to kill Daniel, he was like, what in the world is happening? What's going on? Arioch, the king's executioner, makes him aware of what's happening. And Daniel requests more time. And he, he wants an opportunity to interpret the king's dream. Daniel was literally unaware of his impending doom in the Babylonian national crisis, and yet God was orchestrating all of it. It's fascinating. Daniel was kept out of the loop. It's as if God wanted to expose all the false gods before, uh, for what they were before putting his power and his glory on full display. The God of heaven does not share the stage with idols or false gods. God was working behind the scenes and he positioned Daniel to be the one to bring glory to God in this moment. The uncertainty of life is not easy, but you and I can rest in the fact that God is fully in control and working behind the scenes. He is orchestrating everything for his kingdom purpose. Daniel, he understood this. He understood that God was fully in control. The sovereignty of God moved Daniel toward God, not away from him. And Daniel, um, Daniel 2, verse 17 and 18, it gives us insight into his response to this crisis. Verse 17, then Daniel 
went to his house and made the matter, the matter known to Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Daniel prayed, and God heard Daniel's prayer. The God of heaven, who directs the affairs of the world and is intimately involved in his creation, hears Daniel's prayer and responds. God not only showed Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but he interpreted it for him. God provided. The fact that God heard Daniel's prayer and responded, it should motivate us to pray. It should motivate us to pray. God is sovereign, but he hears and responds to his people. And this leads us to Daniel's response. Daniel's prayer of blessing is not only beautiful, but it's profound. It's as if Chapter one and chapter all of, you know, so far all of chapter two have been leading right to this moment. Daniel's response to God's provision is key to understanding the rest of this chapter and the rest of this book because it reveals the character and the nature of who God is. A.W. Tozer said, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Listen to what comes to Daniel's mind when he thinks about who God is. Daniel 2, verse 20. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells within him. He is the one overseeing it all. God is the one who changes Seasons. He is the one who sets up kings. He is the one who gives wisdom and understanding. He knows what is hidden in the darkness. The suffering that we endure as Christians in America doesn't even pale in comparison with what our brothers and sisters are going through in India and over in the Middle East. But it is important to understand that God is fully in control. He knows what our brothers and sisters are going through overseas. He knows it all. He sees it all. He knows the struggle and hurt and the injustice our brothers and sisters are going through. God knows their pain, and he knows your pain. God knows what you and I will face tomorrow. The God who is orchestrating it all invites us to rest in his sovereignty and invites us to join him right now in his kingdom work. Daniel, in chapter two, is making it clear that God is the one who positioned Nebuchadnezzar in power, a pagan king. And God is the one who positioned Daniel right where he's at. Daniel knew that where he was was not an accident. And Daniel was well aware that Nebuchadnezzar's power and all his authority was no accident either. Daniel's God was not some abstract idea or some religious crutch. His God was the creator and the sustainer of the world, the one overseeing and orchestrating history. The God who can hear and respond to prayers and cries for mercy. Now let's not forget for a moment that Daniel is in exile. He's a prisoner in Babylon. If his faith in God was solely based on his circumstances, he would have abandoned it a long time ago. Daniel is in exile and his faith in the God of heaven is thriving. So let's flip it. In contrast, Nebuchadnezzar is having a dream that in all accounts is about him losing everything a reoccurring nightmare about his king, kingdom being torn from him. He's losing sleep, 
He's losing his mind, and he's losing his trust in his most trusted advisors. I mean, put yourself in Nebuchadnezzar's shoes. Imagine if you had a reoccurring dream that where everything that you held dear was ripped from your arms. Yet Daniel has already lost everything that you and I would consider an earthly possession. He was ripped from his home and his family. He was given a new name and a new identity. He was told to serve a pagan king. Daniel was already living through what Nebuchadnezzar was fearful of happening to him. I'm sure it wasn't easy for Daniel. And you and I know he probably had some honest doubts about what God was doing. Daniel, he was not consumed with building his kingdom here on earth. He was focused on another kingdom, a sovereign one, an eternal one. So where are you this morning? Do you see the events transpiring around the world through the prism of God's sovereignty? Who do you think made Donald Trump president? Who do you think made Joe Biden president? Who do you think is the one orchestrating it all? Listen again to Daniel 2, verse 21. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. If God is the one who changes times and seasons, he removes kings and sets up kings, it means that those who have power and influence have been given their power and influence from God. All power and all authority in this world has one source, and Daniel knows this. Regardless of how you and I feel about one political party versus the other, those who have power in this world, no matter how great they are, no matter how twisted, dark, manipulative they may be, they are only in power because God has allowed it. Daniel fully understood the sovereignty of God and this allowed him to view his circumstances differently and this allowed him to embrace his position before God. And God used him. COVID is not some random season we're in. Whether COVID originated in China or not, do you really think there's another authority responsible for this? Listen to what Daniel is saying here. He, God, changes times and seasons. God is not sitting on the sideline watching from a distance. He is intimately involved in working to bring about his kingdom purpose. He is actively involved in bringing about his eternal kingdom. If God is intimately involved in the events of history and with the affairs of the world, what does that mean for your life? If he sets up rulers and positions people in power, what does that mean for you? Your position in this world is not an accident. The authority that you have or you don't have is not some random thing. Where you are is not an accident. What you're going through is not some random thing. God is not only aware of what you're going through, he is working his kingdom purpose through it. Listen to what Paul, the, the Apostle Paul says about the sovereignty of God and what it means for the Christian. Romans 8, 28. And we know, we know this, that all things work together for good for them, to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Whether you are suffering from injustice, 
or you are suffering from the negative choices you have made. God not only knows about it, he is directly connected, and he is working through it. I I personally have wrestled with the doctrine of God's providence ever since my dad was killed when I was 13 years old. The why questions haven't really been fully answered for me. You know, the why did this happen type questions. But I can tell you this, the death of my father put me on a path to find Christ. I know this. In God's providence, he used my dad's death for his kingdom purpose. And ever since that I found Christ, I started asking a different why question. I started asking Christ, why did you die for me? Why do you love me? Why do you freely give me grace that I do not deserve? The why questions that tend to cripple our faith, they will fade to the background when we see the cross and we truly understand grace. So are you paralyzed by the why questions today? Are you living in fear, trying to do everything you can to hold on to control? If Daniel can rest in the sovereignty of God while he is in exile, you can rest in the sovereignty of God through your health issues. If Daniel can rest in the sovereignty of God while facing his death sentence, you can rest in the sovereignty of God through your broken marriage or the family drama you're currently going through. If Daniel can rest in the sovereignty of God while standing face to face with the most powerful man in the world, you and I can rest in the sovereignty of God when it comes to the state and the affairs of the world. Daniel is making it crystal clear that God is sovereign over the affairs of his creation. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells in him. A biblical view of the sovereignty of God will free us to boldly, courageously, and free. If you're a Christian and you're living in fear, ask yourself, what are you afraid of losing? And listen, let's be honest for a moment here. We all struggle with this. We do. I'm not standing up here professing that I live in a constant place of freedom when it comes to uh, peace and we are, you know, freedom from worry or fear. I get afraid and I can easily get filled with doubt and worry. We are prone to forget that God is fully in control. As believers in Christ, fear and worry should always drive us to the Lord not away from him. When you are filled with worry and anxiety, do you find yourself running toward God or do you find yourself running to something else, whether it's alcohol or some other form of addiction? Maybe you're trying to numb the fear and the worry through worldly distractions. Are you running to your phone? Is that what you find, where you run to for comfort? Or do you find yourself running to God in those moments? If you are struggling this morning with fear and worry, the first thing you and I need to do is run toward God. And this is called repentance. Repent of trying to fix things on your own. Repent for not trusting in God. Repent for trying to hold on to your idols. The first and practical, first thing we need to do, the practical step is to turn toward God. 
It's called repentance. That's exactly what repentance is. And we are given a promise in James. James 4, it says this, if we draw near to God, he promises to draw near to us. Years ago, I was struggling with this concept of God's sovereignty and I was living in a place of worry and doubt. I opened up about this to a mentor of mine and he, and he told me to let my mind go to the worst thing. We usually don't like to do that. Right? We try to, you know, we never like doing that. But he told me to let my mind go to the worst possible thing and ask myself in that moment, is God still God? You and I need to be reminded of this truth. We often live in fear and it will not only steal our joy, but it can sideline us from getting involved in God's kingdom work. The scripture says, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Always be ready. Hope and fear do not mix well together. It's hard to live hopeful when you are filled with fear and worry. So are you right now living hopeful? Are you facing your struggles and the disappointment the way Daniel faced his? You and I, we, we have access to the same God that Daniel prayed to. We have access to the same God who responded to Daniel's prayer and cry for mercy. God is sovereign and this should free us to live boldly and courageously in this world. As a Christian, we have a unique role to play in God's kingdom purpose. You not only have access to the God who is shaping history, but God is inviting you and me to join him in what he is doing. The doctrine of God's providence and his sovereignty is a foundational building block in our faith and how we understand the character and nature of God. If you're struggling with the concept of God's sovereignty, you're not alone. It can, it can kind of seem like God is that parent, you know, like because I said so. I'm God, you're not, deal with it. Daniel is making a declaration about who God is, but he gives us insight into what God is doing in the world. You and I can rest knowing that God is sovereign because he is actively involved in bringing about his kingdom purpose. Daniel chapter two makes it clear who God is in relation to creation, but it takes it a step further. It gives us insight. Daniel chapter two gives us insight into what he's doing in the world. When Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream and explains what the statue represents, he gives specific details about God's redemptive plan and our future. Daniel explains what the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, and the clay represent and makes it clear that the kingdoms of man will fall to a greater kingdom. Daniel 2, verse 44, um, 44 and 45 say this. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. God is sovereign and the reason that you and I can rest in this truth is because he is actively involved in bringing about his kingdom. 
the overarching, or overarching theme of this passage is that God is the one who gives all authority and power and he will replace all human kingdoms with his everlasting kingdom. The four kingdoms in this passage have traditionally been identified as Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And some Bible commentaries, they're not all unified on this, but regardless of you know, what they represent, the message is crystal clear here. God will replace all human kingdoms with his everlasting kingdom. God is not sitting back, you know, I'm God, you're not, because I said so. Like a good father, God is actively involved and his ultimate goal is to bring, the re- bring, um, bring about the restoration of all things. The sovereignty of God should free us to engage the world around us for God's kingdom and his glory. Daniel was not afraid to get involved in what God was doing. Let me think about this for a moment. Daniel was able to stand face to face with the most powerful man in the world at that time and deliver truth. If Daniel can speak the word of God to the man who threatened to kill him, you and I can share our faith with our neighbor. Daniel was not afraid of what King Nebuchadnezzar could do to him he, because he understood the king was given all his power and all his authority from the God that he serves. Daniel fully grasped the truth that God is in control of it all. Daniel told the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, that kingdom was coming that we'd be greater and more powerful than all other kingdoms. Years later, the angel Gabriel announced to Mary that she would bear a son, and this is what he said. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And listen to what Jesus said about himself in Matthew 21. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and, it, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The stone in Nebuchadnezzar's dream has come in the form of a servant king. A servant king who laid down his life for sinners, for you and me. The stone in Nebuchadnezzar's dream is the cornerstone that is, will grow and will fill the whole earth. Jesus' kingdom is already here and it is growing and it will be completed in fullness at Christ's second coming. And this we can rest in and rejoice in and look forward to. As I was preparing uh, this message, I thought about the night before Daniel's execution. The, The night before he was supposed to be killed. Daniel prayed for mercy and God provided mercy to him. It changed the course of Daniel's life. Daniel was promoted to serve in the king's court and he was given authority over all the wise men in Babylon. Daniel prayed for mercy and received mercy. The night before Jesus' execution, before his death, he also prayed. He asked his father, let this cup pass from me. Jesus, in a sense, asked for mercy and was given none. We serve a God who has provided. 
We serve a God who has provided mercy in the form of an innocent sacrifice. Jesus willingly laid down his life so that you and I could live free of fear. It's why communion is so important. We are reminded that God not only knows what is happening in the world, but he did something about it. He gave his body and he poured out his blood so that you and I could join him at the king's table. The Lord's Supper reminds us that God is fully in control. It reminds us that his body was broken and his blood was spilled so that we could live free of fear. Let's pray. Um, God, we, uh, we recognize that you, you are in control. You are orchestrating everything around us for your kingdom purpose. And God, I pray that we would, we would rest in that and that your, that your sovereignty will be something that we think about daily. Lord, help us to engage the world around us for your kingdom and your glory. God, I thank you that even when we can't see it, you are working and you are orchestrating your kingdom purpose. God, I thank you that you provide. I thank you that you are a God who hears our cries for mercy. Lord, I pray that Doxa Church, uh, Lord, this, this place, Lord, would be a church filled with kingdom-minded Christians who see the world through the prism of your sovereignty. Amen.